I am thankful to be here with you today, and I'm glad that you're here. Glad that uh, we've got a beautiful day, a little relief from the heat, and uh, things that uh, I guess everything's pretty good in our lives today. I want to talk to you about something in the book of Colossians today, and I told Carrie when I was putting this lesson together, it's very difficult for me. The title of the lesson is The Preeminence of Christ, and the section we're going to talk about is Jesus and His Preeminence. But you know, when I preach, it doesn't matter what I'm preaching on. If I'm preaching on talking rude to your husband or wife, I try to make that a big deal, you know, because I want you to not do that, right? And when everything you preach, you make a big deal. Then when you get to something that is a big deal... It's kind of like, what else can you say? What else can you do to make people understand what a big deal something is? Paul, when he was on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians, met Jesus. It changed his world. But at first, he didn't know anything. He didn't know who it was. The first thing we find Paul saying when he has a interaction with Jesus, the very first thing he says is, Lord, who are you? He didn't know. This very same Paul who on the road there to Damascus, blind and I have no doubt fallen down and wondering if he was going to live another minute, later wrote to the church in Corinth and he said, when I was there, I determined to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's the only thing he could talk about for the rest of his life. Have you ever been around somebody that all they could talk about was fill in the blank, whatever, their football team or their their college or their new job they were selling stuff or whatever. They just all just wear you out talking about stuff. That was Paul. He would wear you out talking about Jesus. In Colossians chapter 1, he's talking to the church in Colossae. Yancey gave us a good introduction to that. Let me remind you, Colossae, small town with two other towns, Hierapolis and Laodicea, inland about 70 miles from Ephesus. They met in the home of a guy named Philemon who was a wealthy businessman who lived in Colossae. The church there had a problem because there were people teaching things that weren't true about Jesus. Did you know there are people today who teach stuff that isn't true about God and about Jesus? Some of you have seen the video floating around of Joel Osteen's wife this past week saying that, saying that you know, you don't go to church to worship God, you go to church for you. And God's happy because you're happy. That's false doctrine. That's just plain false teaching. There were false things being taught about Jesus. And so Paul, at the very beginning of this sermon, or this letter, really wasn't a sermon, I guess. Although in my mind, when I see Paul dictating to whoever was writing, I'm sure he just walked around and preached like he was preaching a sermon. But when he did this, when he talked about this, he starts with Jesus. And he tells them a bunch of stuff about Jesus. And I want to look at some of the things... Jason read for us this morning about Jesus. The first thing he mentions is that He has taken us out of darkness into the kingdom of His Son. One of the things that we need to know is that Jesus Christ is a King. 
It said He brought us into the kingdom of His Son whom He loves. Here in America, we don't have a king, do we? Some people say, well, I don't know, this new administration's acting awful much that way. But we don't have a king in this government here. But as Christians, we've got a king. You know, a king isn't just a rule giver. A king is your champion. A king is the one who stands as the supreme representative of your nation. He is the embodiment of what you are. King is. We sing songs about that, don't we? All day long of Jesus I am singing, He's my King. And oh, I dearly love Him. Do you ever think about Jesus as a King? You know, we're taught in our culture today to think of Jesus as our friend, as our Savior. And we sing songs about that. What a friend we have in Jesus. And the Bible teaches that He's our friend. But Jesus is also our King. And I believe something that matters for you and I is to realize and understand that you have a King who is sovereign over your life. Just like I do. Scripture says that He has on His robe and on His thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Now there are a lot of practical applications of that in our lives. One is, it doesn't matter who's in Washington, D.C., because there's a King of kings and a Lord of lords, and He's always going to be on His throne, and it doesn't matter what government physically is over us. Did you know there are Christians that serve God under democratic governments and under communist governments and under dictatorships and under military dictatorships and under every other kind of government you can imagine? Even in areas of anarchy, there are people who serve God because we are a part of the kingdom of God. You know, I have a quartet, most of you know, and we sing. And on our last CD... We, one of the things we sang was the national anthem. And you know, when I sing the national anthem, I just, I get a, mm, you know, I just get this pride and this, and you can just see it in people when, when we sing it. Everybody gets this. Do you have that about being a part of the kingdom of God? Or, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. <laughs> We should because we have a king, and a king is worthy of worship. He's worthy of our adoration. He is our champion and our ruler. Another thing <clears throat> is that the Bible says he's our redeemer. It says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. I got an email this week from a fella who uh, was very confusing email about how God has no obligation to mankind, and therefore mankind has no obligation to God because you can't have a one-sided relationship and all, all kinds of stuff like this. And I wrote him back and I said, you know, God, this is an old deist argument. And he wrote back and said, I'm not a deist, I'm a guyanist. And I don't even really know what a guyanist is, but they're building an island or a temple on an island somewhere that all the energy from the universe channels through or some, all kinds of weird stuff, Okay. But one of the things he was saying is that in our relationship with God, there's no benefit to God. It's all to man. He says people think they're going to get forgiven of their sins. You know what? I do. <laughs> Jim said it. He's, he saved us. 
He gives us a forgiveness. He redeems us. Do you know what the word redeemer is? What that means? It means if you were a slave and somebody came and paid the money to get you out of slavery, they paid the ransom to get you out of slavery, they are your redeemer. Now think about that for a moment. You have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Scripture says, therefore He says when He ascended on high, He led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. You see, you were a captive and Jesus came in and captured your captor and set you free from captivity. Was that confusing enough? He captured the one who had you captured and He set you free. He paid the price for your sin with His blood and redeemed you. Now let's think about that just for a moment. Somebody saves you. Pays the price for you to be redeemed. You get free from your captors. Let's... You know, I go to Nigeria. I'm trying to think of a good analogy here. I go to Nigeria sometimes and the threat or the fear over there is kidnapping. And they don't normally want to kill you. Uh, at least where we go, they normally just want money. Right? So let's just assume for a moment that I went over there and I got kidnapped. And John hears that I've been kidnapped and John says, you know what? I'm going to... I'm gonna." sell everything I've got, and I'm going to mortgage everything I've got. And John comes up with enough money to pay them and get me free from my captors. Do you think I'm going to be grateful to John? you think I'm going to use his name as a cuss word? Guarantee you I ain't using his name as a cuss word. He ain't going to have to worry about anything the rest of his life as long as I'm alive because of what He did for me. You see, Jesus, Jesus gave His blood to redeem us, to free us from our sins. You know, we're, as a congregation, we're open and honest enough around here. We don't pretend we don't have sin. We know we've all got sin. I want to tell you what, I appreciate that Jesus is my Redeemer. Has He your Redeemer? Has He forgiven you, paid for your sin? He has. Have you accepted that? And come to Him in that Redeemer relationship? Another thing that He tells us about Jesus is that He's the image of God. He says He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. When I was in high school, I had a friend who claimed to be an atheist, and we were talking about God and the Bible and all, and uh, I talked about how man was made in the image of God, and he said, well, that just means God has a head, a body, two arms, and two legs. That's all that means. And I got to thinking about that. You know, monkeys... <laughs> have a head, a body, two arms, and two legs, right? Well, what about children that are born without an arm? Does that mean they're not in the image of God? No. Because you see, the image of God isn't a physical image. It's not a physical being. But this says Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the very image of something that's invisible. Now, that's kind of strange. How can you have an image 
of something that's a, even a ghost. When we see movies about ghosts, there's a little something there, right? How can Jesus be the image of something that's invisible? What he's talking about there is Jesus is just like his Father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In fact, Scripture tells us this, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son has declared Him. He said, nobody's ever seen God, but we've seen Jesus. I say we, I haven't physically seen Jesus, but I've seen Him through the eye of faith and the Word, just like you have. Jesus is what God is. If God the Father were to come and be a man on earth, He would be exactly what Jesus was. Jesus is that image of God. The Scriptures also tell us this, said, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. Do you know why that is? The older I get, the more like my dad I become. And... I can't help that. It just, you know, I'll be sitting somewhere and I'll think, I'm sitting exactly like Dad does. Or I'll say something and I'll think, that sounds exactly the way my dad would have said that. You know why that is? Because He's in my DNA. I can't help that. He's inside me. He's what I am. The Father of Jesus was God. God was what He is. He was in Him. And that's the way we know Him. That's the way we know God. Do you see God in Jesus? You know, the Bible tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? This passage tells us that Jesus Christ was a part of that. He created all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Jesus, it says, was the Creator. You say, now wait a minute, it says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Yes, and do you remember down a little bit later in Genesis 1, God said, let us make man in our image. Who was He talking to? You know who He was talking to, Kent? John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, Jesus was the active agent in creation. This is probably a gross oversimplification, but as I understand it, God said, let there be light, and Jesus made the light. Because He's the Word, and He's the creative force. Jesus is the Creator. He created everything. The Bible tells us that He created, whether they're kings or lords, rulers or powers, everything has been created through Him and for Him. Now, do you know what that means? It means Jesus Christ created the Alps and the Rocky Mountains. It means Jesus Christ created the Sahara Desert. It means Jesus Christ created... Alaska means Jesus Christ created you. You. 
You know, in my life, I always thought of Him as Savior and Lord and all these terms we have for Him, right? You ever think of Him as your Creator? Do you honor Him as the One who created you? He did. You know, that changes the relationship a little bit, doesn't it? Because we have, we have those who have authority over us in the government. Obama has authority over me, but my relationship with him is not like my relationship with my dad. Right? Jesus isn't just some dignitary who has authority over the... He does have all authority, but He's not just some dig. He created you. He made you. And He made me. In our Bible study group at Louisville, we've been, uh, been studying unchangeable aspects of our lives. Things that God made and created in us that we have no control over, like who your parents are, or who your siblings are, your birth order, or some things like that. All of those things God designed for you, especially for you, to be a unique message of His love to the world. And you're the only one that He made that way. And Jesus thoughtfully did that. Do you honor Jesus as your Creator? The Bible also tells us that Jesus Christ is eternal. It says He existed before anything or before everything and holds everything together. You know, eternal, for you and I, just imagine if there was a dot right here and a line going that direction. This dot's when you were created and that line goes on forever because the Bible teaches that we will have an eternal existence. Jesus Christ, line goes forever that way, but Jesus Christ's line goes forever that way too. Doesn't stop either direction. He's just always existed. Now, He wasn't always the physical human that we knew of on earth as Jesus Christ, but the being who came to earth as Jesus has forever existed. In fact, in Micah it says this, says His goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. You go all the way back to the very beginning and then keep going. And I know you're going, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't to us because we can't imagine anything that just always was. Because nothing in our universe, in our existence, just always was. But Jesus just always... He's so eternal, in fact, that the Apostle John, in 1 John chapter 1, says eternal life. And I'm paraphrasing here, but he said eternal life came to earth and we touched Him. He is so eternal that John says He is eternal life in human flesh. That's amazing. That makes the things that He says... You know, old people have wisdom, don't they, Jim? (laughs) Old people... Not that you're old, Jim. Old people have wisdom. Jesus has been around forever. The things that He says are always right. He's never, ever, ever wrong about anything. He's eternal. Do you ever think about and realize that Jesus has always existed? 
that He's not just a temporary part of this. The Bible also says that Jesus Christ is our sustainer. It says He existed before everything and holds everything together. What do you think that means? Holds everything together. You go to old mythology and they had, they believed that some people believed the earth was on a turtle and other people believed Atlas stood there, you know, and held the earth up. What does that mean that Jesus holds everything together? It means that everything that is is held together and exists because of His Word and the power of His Word. If He ceased to hold everything together, it would all be over just like that. Yesterday we walked out of the house and Jacob and I were... I don't even remember now what we were talking about. And I said, you know you're going to die someday. And somebody says, that's an awful thing to say to your son. (laughs) I want him to have a realistic outlook on life, right? You're going to die someday. And he goes, maybe not. Maybe if Jesus comes back first. (laughs) Well, that's right. My first reaction was, well, yeah, but you're probably going to die. (laughs) And I got to thinking, that's not a right attitude to have, you know. The Lord could end it just like that, couldn't He? He holds everything together, sustaining everything. The Bible says upholding all things by the word of His power. Hebrews chapter 1, the first few verses there, is almost an identical description of Jesus to what we find here in Colossians. It says He's holding everything by the word of His power. He's powerful enough to hold it and control it. Do you realize and ever think about the fact that Jesus is sustaining you? The reason your heart is beating right now is because Jesus is giving you life. He doesn't have to do that. But He does. He also goes ahead here and says that Jesus is the head of the church. He is also the head of the church which is His body. Jesus said it this way in Matthew. He said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. You know the reason we try to do the things that we do in the church is because we believe that's what God told us to do through Jesus. That's what we believe. We believe He's the only one who has the right to decide what we do. Because He is the head of the church. Now, you know who's the head of the Catholic church, right? And I'm not picking on Catholics more than anybody else. But you know who's the head of the Catholic church? It's the Pope. You know who's the head of the Mormon church? Well, that's the prophet that lives in Salt Lake City. Jesus Christ is the head of His church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And all the things we do in the church should be because that's what Jesus Christ has told us to do or wants us to do. That should be our reason. Our reason should not be, does it draw a crowd or does do people like it or is it effective? Our reason should be, is that what Jesus said to do? And if it is, then we need to do it regardless of the consequences. I was looking at the book of Acts this week and one of the things you see over and over and over in the book of Acts is it say, they spoke with great boldness, and they did this and that with boldness. You see the word boldness over and over and over. You know what the word boldness means? It doesn't mean harsh and angry. Boldness means speaking without fear of consequences. It means I'm not afraid of the consequences because it's what God told me to do. 
And whatever the consequences are, they just are. Because I'm doing what God told me to do. Why? Because He's the head. The church is His body. We're to do what He tells us. My hand does what my head tells it to do. And if it quits doing that, I go see a doctor to start making it do that again. Because something's wrong if the hand, if the body doesn't do what the head tells it to do. Do you submit to Jesus Christ as the head of the church? When you move off somewhere, we've got some young folks here. I've got some of my kids and we've got some of the young kids around. We've got some visiting young folks here. When you move off away from home, get big and go out on your own, don't look just for a church you like. Look for a church that honors Jesus as its head and does what Jesus tells it to do. That's what you need to find. Because Jesus is the head. He says that Jesus is the beginning. He is the beginning, the first to come back to life. Another passage says, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus is the first fruits of the ones who've fallen asleep. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. Now somebody says, wait a minute. Didn't Jesus raise Lazarus while He was still alive? Wasn't Lazarus the first one raised? Well, actually, you go way back beyond that into the Old Testament. You can find uh, Elijah raising somebody from the dead. I mean, you can get way back find other people raised from the dead before Jesus. Well, what does that mean? He's the firstborn from the dead. First can mean first in order of sequence, or it can mean first in order of priority, in order of importance. When you win first place in a contest, that doesn't mean it was a race and you got to the finish line first. What that means is yours was judged the best. Jesus is the only one who died and was raised never to die again. Lazarus died again. Peter's mother-in-law died again. All the people who were raised at the resurrection of Jesus died again. But Jesus Christ didn't die again, and He's never going to die again. Jesus Christ is the first in order of priority. He's the best. He's the top. He's the most important. And it's because He beat death. You see, Lazarus didn't beat death. Lazarus got death put off a little while. But Jesus beat death. And He said the day's going to come when all that are in their graves will hear His voice and will come forth out of the grave. Jesus not only beat death for Himself, but He beat death for you and for me. Death is a defeated enemy. Do you trust Jesus Christ to raise you from the dead? You know, that's really the bottom line on Christianity, isn't it? Because we're all going to die. Like I told Jacob, as Jesus comes back, we're all going to die. Do you trust Jesus to raise you from the dead? He finishes this up by saying that Jesus was God. He says, God was pleased to have all of Himself live in Christ. The old King James translation says, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwelt in Jesus. Now that's kind of confusing, difficult words. That means Jesus Christ was God. You know how to determine if a religion is Christian-based or not? What do they believe about Jesus? And a religion that doesn't believe Jesus is God is not a Christian religion. 
No matter if they use Christian terms or not, it's not a Christian religion. Jesus Christ is God. The Scriptures say in Hebrews chapter 1, but to the Son He says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. You know who this is? This is God the Father talking to God the Son. And the Father says to the Son, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Thomas doubted that. Thomas didn't believe Jesus could come back from the dead. He said, I won't believe it unless I can touch His hands with the holes or the hole in His side. Jesus appeared to Thomas and He said, Thomas, here's my hands. Touch them. Thomas didn't have to touch the hands. Thomas just fell down. He said, my Lord and my God. Because Jesus Christ is God. Do you believe Jesus is God? This God in Jesus Christ was reconciling the world to Himself. Jesus is the reconciler. He, God was also pleased to bring everything on earth back, everything on earth and in heaven back to Himself through Christ. The whole point of what Jesus did, He said, I have come to seek and save the lost. He came to reconcile those of us who have been separated from God by our sins back to Him. God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 18. Have you been reconciled to God by the blood of Jesus? So, we've talked about all these different things that Paul says about Jesus here. Why is Paul telling the church at Colossae all this stuff? Why does he go through, well, he's king and he's redeemer and he's. Why does he go through telling him all of these things? Well, he tells us why. He says this that he may have, that in all things he may have the preeminence. You know what preeminence is? Let me show you that in a different translation. It says that he would have first place. In everything. So, my question to you at the end of this sermon is this. Does Jesus have first place in your life? You know, there's a lot of different things that take first place in our lives. I guess primarily, for most of us, if anything else takes first place other than Jesus, it's family, isn't it? We love our husband or our wife or kids, parents. It's hard not to let somebody that you depend on, like, like you do family, to be more important to you, isn't it? What's first place in your life? Is Jesus first place? He should be first place in this church. And He should be first place in your home. And He should be first place in your life. He needs to be more important than your job. He needs to be more important than whether your kids get to play or sit on the bench on their sports team. He needs to be more important than your entertainment and your trips and your holidays. He needs to be more important even than your children or your husband or your wife. Jesus said, if you don't love me more than all these, you're not worthy of me. Jesus has got to be the most important thing in the world to you. And so that's what I leave you with this morning. I leave you with this.
first place ribbon. That's kind of trite. But that should be what you think of. That should be the direction of your life for Jesus. He should be more important than anything else to you. And I can't tell you anything different than that. You know what that means in practical terms? It doesn't mean, oh, we love Jesus. Just If you just know our heart. It doesn't mean that. What that means, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. It means if you know He wants you to do something, don't say no. If He's first place, you won't say no. If He's first place, you'll do what He tells you to do. If He's first place, He'll be more important when you make the practical choice. Somebody says, oh, well, I know God's more important than than my job, but every chance I get, I make a choice. I choose to do something with my job instead of serving Christ. Oh, He's more important than sports, but every chance we get, every time there's a conflict, we choose sports over choosing serve God. We've got to be practical and we've got to be real in our lives. And if Jesus is first place, we need to quit fooling around and we need to get serious about making Him in practical terms and practical ways first place. And that's my admonition to you today. Look in your life. If there's something that you've chosen, you've made a choice and you're not doing something you know God wants you to do, stop it. Change today. If there is something that God wants you to do, and you're not doing it, start doing it today. If there's a choice you've made that's put something between you and God, get rid of it today. I hope you've been encouraged and I hope you'll change anything that needs changed in your life. We offer a song of invitation if you have a special need. If you'll make that need known while we stand and sing.